Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 2. I invite you in this time to hear now the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is that good for? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we continue our series exploring the fruit of the Spirit, I just want to pass along a little bit of a reminder that, you know, we started out this series talking about the fruit of the Spirit as a whole and what that might mean for us in leaving a, a legacy of being guided by the Spirit for our community. And then we started exploring each individual attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and one other that I can't remember now, but now we are looking at generosity, faithfulness, and self-control today. And one thing that we need to recognize is that this fruit, this fruit of the Spirit is not meant to be something stagnant. It's not meant to be something that suddenly is produced through us by the Spirit in the world for no reason. And that's often the easiest thing that our faith can become, stagnant, useless, not really doing anything. But we must understand and recognize that this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control, that each, each one of these attributes are meant to do something in our lives, do something for the transformation of the world. You see, we recognize in the fruit of the Spirit that it's not some abstract concept that we're dealing with here. Love is no longer some abstract concept, nor is joy, nor is peace, nor is patience, or kindness, or generosity, or faithfulness, or gentleness, or self-control. These are no longer abstractions. They become concrete aspects of a transformed life. And that right there is crucial to uh, the conclusion of this series on the fruit of the Spirit where we have talked about uh, previously about how, how the fruit of the Spirit is meant to bring about unity in our community and about how the fruit of the Spirit is only possible by the Spirit to engage us even in spite of our circumstances. We now come to a point where we recognize that the fruit of the Spirit is calling us to do something. It's calling us to put our faith in action. And that's what we're going to be exploring in the context of our passage in James chapter 2. Twice in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, he uses the expression, what good is it? He begins, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? And then again, in verse, 60, in verse 16, 
If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their body, bodily needs, what is the good of that? And so I have to consider this question, what good is that? This question here, I believe, we might not ask ourselves often enough in relation to our thoughts, in relation to our words, or in relation to our actions. When was the last time that you began to do something, or say something, or think something, and before doing so, you stopped and asked, what is the good of that? What is the good of this action that I'm about to do? What is the good of the words I'm about to say? James uh, begins it with chapter 1, talking about how we are to be um, slow to anger, slow to speak, but quick to listen. And so, in our words, in our deeds, and even in our thoughts, I believe that a place we should be starting as Christians is asking ourselves, what is the good of that? Uh, in the Wesleyan tradition, there are three general rules for United Methodists and for others who are in the Wesley traditions. There are three general rules. The rules are do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God. So the first two kind of coincide together in a way beginning with do no harm. In other words, in everything we are to say and do, we need to be mindful. Is this going to harm anybody? And if we can say yes to that, yes, it is going to harm somebody, then we know that's a good point to stop and reconsider our approach. If we can say no to that, say no, this isn't going to cause any harm, then we move on to the second rule. Do good. And we have to ask, is what we are about to say or do going to bring about some good in the lives of those around us or in our own lives? Is it going to bring about some good? Because you see, and this is crucial, these two rules play a particular balance. Not only are we not supposed to bring about harm to anybody, we also are not supposed to remain stagnant. There's a liminal space, a middle ground between doing harm and doing good. Harm is very evident and obvious. It, it, it hurts people. We know to stay away from that. But if that was the only rule was to do no harm, then we could easily slip into this, medium, this middle space and say, you know what? We don't have to do anything. We can, we can just choose to ride the fence on this. But Wesley adds the second one to do good. In other words, that calling that in everything you do, in word or deed, make sure that it is good, that it is uplifting, that it is for more than just you. So we ask that question, what good is it? Whatever word or deed we have to perform or say, what good is it? We begin there because, because our faith is about more than just our beliefs. And, you know, there, for, for some reason, there is kind of this underlying tone in the Christian tradition that our faith is simply about what we believe. And that's really cute 
but it's insufficient. Because I can tell you exactly what I believe on whatever topic you want to talk about. But just because I believe that does not mean it changes me or the world. Just because I believe that doesn't mean that it makes any difference. We hear in Scripture, you believe that there is one God, you do very well. The demons also believe and shudder. In other words, just because we believe it doesn't make any difference. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And so, what James is calling us to recognize here is that faith is meant to be expressed in our words and actions, not just in our belief. It's in every aspect of our lives, intertwined through every decision we make, integrated into every step we take. Our faith is meant to be more than just our beliefs. And so, what James is saying here is that faith, faith must be visible. In other words, you've got to have something to show for it. And so he brings about this question of works. And now we need to take a moment here, pause before we go any further. The first thing to note is that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that any person on the face of the planet can do to save themselves. There is nothing that any person can do to, to bring about their own salvation. Works are not sufficient only the grace of God. But at the same time, we also need to recognize that faith is also not sufficient. Whenever James asks in verse 14, can faith save you? The implication is no. Faith is also insufficient to save us because faith is something that we, that we are a part of. We have that faith. We act on that faith. And so faith, too, is insufficient for salvation. Only the grace of God is able to save. Now, we have our own role to play, but only the grace of God is able to save. The part where, where James here is bringing in the conversation about works and their importance and significance is, is that James is, is articulating that if you do have faith, then that faith has no choice but to be revealed in your very life. Why? Because, look back on the life of Jesus. Jesus never did anything that didn't ask somebody to transform their lives or to impact the lives of others in a positive way. The calling of Christians everywhere is that faith be made manifest in our very actions and the way that we live for others. Jesus called people to believe, yes, but more importantly, Jesus called people to live out their belief. In other words, for their belief to be revealed in every single action. Why? Well, let's go back to the question. What good is that? Or to the first two general rules, do no harm. 
Our faith, if it is pure in God, and not just some faith that we've invented for ourselves or a list of rules that we think we should abide by, our faith can only do good. Remember, that's contingent, though, on it being solely on God and not on ourselves. And so James says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Consider that statement for a moment. I want you to try right now, wherever you may be, I want you to try to show your faith without doing anything. Did it work? I imagine not. Why? Because, well, already by implying the, with the words, show me, that's calling us to do something. And so James says, I by my works will show you my faith because that is where faith is revealed, not just in our beliefs, but in our very lifestyle. And so we come now to the three fruit of the spirit that we have left to talk about, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control. These three attributes of the fruit of the Spirit are fruit that by their nature, or are attributes of the fruit that by their nature imply us doing something, that there is something to be done in generosity, that there is something to be done in faithfulness, and that there is something to be done in self-control. So we start with the word generosity. Generosity in, uh, in the Greek is the word agathos. Agathos. You know, I, I don't know if the Greek word actually means, matters to you at all, but I think it's kind of fun to explore uh, the native tongue which this was written in. So generosity, that word agathos, means human goodness or acting for the good of others. And so some of you, depending on your Bible translation, you might not have the word generosity in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you might have the word goodness written there instead of generosity. Uh, that word works similarly. Um, I believe the word generosity uh, has more of an oomph to it because generosity over goodness, generosity implies giving of one's self. The kind of human goodness and acting for the good of others that this word agathos suggests is a kind of goodness that can only be done by giving of one's self. Whether giving of one's own money or resources or time or love, whatever that might be, this kind of goodness, this agathos, requires giving of oneself. And this generosity is contrary to selfishness and acting for the good of one's self. You see that? Generosity cannot be for oneself alone. There are ways in which generosity and goodness can be good for an individual, but generosity and this kind of goodness that Agathos suggests means that it can't be just for me. If it's just for me, then it's not generosity, it's not goodness, it's selfishness. Agathos is contrary to that selfishness. And so already we see here that the faith which we are called to live out in the fruit of the Spirit already is calling, is drawing us into a faith in action. Then we look at the word faithfulness. 
And this word right here, I picked this one specifically to go in this category because it doesn't sound like something that we do. Faithfulness, it's something that you are, right? You are faithful to something. Okay, but if we begin to dive into the Greek word, which is pistis, pistis, that Greek word there implies more than just being faithful. It implies doing faith. So pistis can be most easily understood as conviction of the truth so as to act on trust. I'll say that again. Conviction of the truth so as to act on trust. In other words, to be so sure that something is 100% true that every attribute of your lifestyle reflects that. An example of faithfulness lived out is um, in every single step that we take. We, from the moment we are able to walk, maybe even before that, are 100% sure that every step that we take, our foot is going to hit the ground because we know that gravity works 100% of the time. We are so sure that, that gravity is going to hold us to this earth that we do not hesitate with that next step, knowing that that step is going to hit the ground. We are convinced of the truth of gravity, that it is going to hold us to this planet. And so we feel confident enough to act on it. Now we take that into our faith in God, are we so convinced of God's truth and God's love that we are willing to act out of our trust in God? Now, faithfulness, pistis, is contrary to, can you guess? It's not doubt, it's rather ambivalence or indifference or indecisiveness. Yes, faithfulness is, is being sure, pistis, that is trust in action, being so sure that you, will, or that you are 100% willing to act on it. It is contrary not to doubt, because it's okay to doubt if you're, if you're standing on an edge of, you know, maybe a step or something like that, you can doubt whether or not your foot is going, how far down your foot is going to go or something like that. It's not doubt, it's rather ambivalence or indecisiveness, thinking that, you know, maybe sometimes this works, maybe sometimes it doesn't. Maybe sometimes this is real, maybe sometimes it's not. It doesn't really matter to me enough. If we lived that way with gravity, I imagine many of us would never get out of bed in the morning because we wouldn't be sure if as soon as we got out of bed, we'd just float up through the sky. But it's far easier to live our life of faith that way. And so in faithfulness, we are called to action, to actually do something with what we trust in. Just because we trust doesn't mean that it's enough. I can sit here and trust that gravity is going to keep me here, but it's not going to change where I'm going in my life. I actually have to do something to change where I'm going. So too with faith. 
We can trust that God is God and that God is good and loving, but it's not going to change anything about my life if I don't act on it. And it's certainly not going to change anything about the world or bring about any kind of transformation if I don't act on it. So faithfulness is calling us to action. And then finally, we get to self-control. And this is an interesting one. The very last uh, of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit that's described uh, self-control in the Greek is inkratia, inkratia. And this word uh, really, I mean, self-control is a pretty good definition for it. It means mastery of one's self, mastery of one's desires, mastery of one's selfishness. And in other words, being able to recognize whenever there are things that we might desire, and then being able to choose appropriately how to act on that. For instance, if I see a bank and I desire all of the money within that bank, self-control is saying, don't rob that bank. It's not going to go well. It's also very selfish. <laughs> Rather, in, in, in this notion, this mastery of desire, self-control is calling us to be mindful of ourselves, and then to live a life, a controlled life, recognizing how those desires impact our lives. Inkratia, this Greek word for self-control, is contrary to self-indulgence. See, self-indulgence self is whenever we just want to satisfy whatever desire we have, just take it all in. If I see a Krispy Kreme, I'm gonna eat every single one of their donuts because they're amazing. All right, that's self-indulgence, whereas self-control is calling us to check ourselves and recognize whenever our desires are selfish and, most importantly, when our desires might bring about harm or when our desires may not bring about good. So once again, it's calling us to check on those uh, first two general rules, to do no harm and to do good. So self-control in our faith is calling us to action. Do we see yet how faith cannot be separated from works? Verse 17 of James chapter 2 says, So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. There's nothing to show for it. Faith inherently is trying to bring about transformation, a transformed life, a life of love. And if there is no works to show for that, then what's the point of faith? It may be there, but how is it any different from a corpse? Faith without works is dead. So my challenge for each and every one of us today is to live your faith, to live your faith. If we are being called to be guided by the Spirit, to leave behind a legacy for our community, I wonder what kind of legacy we could leave behind if our faith was lived out in our very actions, engaging the world, being more than just something we keep personally to ourselves. This faith is called to action in generosity, in faithfulness, and self-control. So let us live our faith. Let us be generous, faithful, controlled people. Let us be guided by the Spirit to leave a legacy of faith in action here in our community.
And let us pray that God might move in us and stir us on to generosity, faithfulness, and self-control.